Welcome to r slash, a podcast where I read the best posts from across Reddit. Today's subreddit is r slash pro revenge. Our next Reddit post is from Moby One Kenobi. This all started when I was 12 years old. My 7th grade teacher, who was a 46-year-old man at the time, was infamous for being intimidating and, in my opinion, abusive to his students. He was a disciplinarian of the school. He was in charge of keeping track of detentions and announcing who would be sitting every Friday during assembly. We suspected at the time that the reason why he never got fired was either because the students were too scared to report him or because of the fact that the principal was his brother-in-law. Reasons why I hated him include he was constantly making vaguely racist remarks, complaining about the new South Africa, and constantly bringing up how his life was better during the apartheid regime. He was a white guy who was raised on a farm. I always felt like he had an issue with me as a person because I'm a practicing Muslim. He would make the class laugh at how funny Muslim women looked with their heads wrapped up. His jokes about Muslims missing out on eating bacon were endless. In fact, one day he purposely stood in front of my desk eating a cheese and bacon panini. He used to often rant about how the school is no longer a pure Christian institution as it once was back in the day. He would say these things and glance at either me, my twin sister, or the black students in the class who practiced their own African religions. When it was his birthday, my mom encouraged me to buy him a gift. I spent some of my pocket money, which was already limited, to buy him a big slab of chocolate and a long piece of drawers, which is dried sausage. Throughout the day, he would get gifts from students. He would get up from his desk to greet and thank them and then shake their hand. I remember noticing this because I always found it weird when students shook hands with teachers because of how small our hands were compared to theirs. However, when I gave him my gift, all he did was look at me for like a second, look away, and nod his head slightly. I remember being thankful for not offering my hand out for him to shake because I thought he might have ignored it in front of the entire class. To say I felt like garbage is an understatement. The experience that made me hate him the most happened just before we wrote our second and third term exams. I was walking with my friend David back from the truck stop during interval. We took a shortcut between the English and Afrikaans kindergarten classes and saw a group of boys huddled together. One of them walked towards us, and I saw that he had one of those camping multi-tools with a folding knife out and instantly got scared. He told us, Give me your stuff before I cut your neck, and then started laughing and walked back to his friends. It was clearly a joke, but David looked close to tears, and I was very scared because of what that kid had done. I told Xander, the kid with the knife, that he's not allowed to have knives at school and that I'm going to tell my teacher. We walked straight to our teacher and when we spoke to him, David burst into tears. We told him what happened and David was sobbing when he said like he felt like he was going to die. Our teacher barely looked up from his computer while we were speaking and when he asked for the guy's name, we told him the name and he said that he'll deal with it for us and go out for interval again. I went home and told my mom, who I felt didn't fully believe me at the time. The next day we saw Xander, we were basically making fun of him for getting into trouble with our teacher and likely getting expelled at worst, or sitting through his Saturday detention at best. He laughed back at us and said that our teacher just came to his class, asked to speak to him, and told him to never bring it to school again. No detention, no suspension, basically nothing. He still had the knife on him for the rest of the day. We were so upset we went back to our teacher and I told him that Xander said that he didn't get into trouble for having the knife. He gave me the ugliest look as if I were bothering him and coldly said to me that maybe I should fix my tardiness before I try to get other people in trouble. 
I would come late four or five times a month because my mom's car battery terminals were broken so the battery would run flat and she couldn't afford to have it fixed. She had to put the neighbor's battery in her car, start it, and then idle it while she took the battery out and put her own battery back in to charge it up. My mom taught me the value of always having a number 10 spanner in your car, lol. I felt betrayed by my teacher, the person who was supposed to make us feel safe while we were away from home. When I spoke to my friends about it, they told me that Xander was actually the principal's son, meaning that he was my teacher's nephew. I decided to take the opportunity to speak to my friends about getting evidence that our teacher is treating students unfairly. Three of my four close friends had camera phones. I sat in the far left corner, my one friend sat in the opposite corner by the door, the other friend sat in the middle, and the last friend was right at the back of the class by the window on the left. One thing about our teacher, he didn't give an F about where we sat, as long as we answered him when we did roll call and didn't bother anyone else when we swapped seats. We came to an agreement that whenever a teacher would sound like he was going to say something vaguely racist or Islamophobic, we would all discreetly take videos of him. Any private conversation we had with him was voice recorded on our phones. We caught him on camera telling a really racist joke about black people and saying that Hindus must have a lot of problems since they have so many gods. We caught him saying a lot of bad things, but a lot slipped through our fingers because we weren't fast enough. It was extremely difficult to keep our friend group motivated to record him and not tell anyone else about it. It was especially difficult because, at the time, I had a hand-me-down Samsung D900, which was seen as an expensive phone at the time. After, I think, a month, we decided that we couldn't let it go any further. One of our friends was a black guy named Tatenda. Tatenda was a problem child. His mom died when he was four, and his dad was an alcoholic. He was raised mostly by his uncle, who I still think was a pimp. He used to act out at school because of undiagnosed ADHD. His dad and uncle didn't believe in learning disabilities and always assumed he was just lazy and badly behaved. Tatenda especially got onto our teacher's nerves because not only was he black, but because he would bring broken calculators from home and take them apart during class. One day, our teacher told him to clear his desk and throw away the bits of plastic and calculator pieces. He ignored the teacher. The teacher then started screaming at him, and Tatenda did the only logical thing that a 12-year-old boy would do in such a situation. He mockingly put two pencils in his ears. Our teacher lost his cool. He grabbed Tatenda and threw him against the door. The narrow windowpane cracked and Tatenda's head was bleeding. He told me he was fine during interval afterwards and we put money together to buy him a Sprite. I almost cried when my friend who sat way behind me said he got the whole thing on camera. We didn't even trust that the whole class's testimony would be enough to get him into trouble. We decided that enough was enough. The revenge. First, we showed the video to Detenda's uncle, who showed it to his father. Then, I showed my mom all the other videos and recordings. She lost her mind. One of my friends sent all this to his older sister, who had a Facebook account, and she posted it there and tagged the school and as many parents as she knew. It blew up. Parents and people from around the province phoned the school, demanding answers as to what's going to happen to our teacher. He was immediately suspended. There were rumors circulating that he had to go into hiding because Tatenda's uncle and his friends were looking to kill him. I even met Tatenda's dad for the first time in weeks after the whole thing exploded. He liked to joke that his dad sobered up specifically for this, lol. The principal pulled Xander out of the school. We never saw him again. 
My mom told me that an investigation was launched against the school because of the improper handling of bullying complaints. If I remember correctly, three English kids in my class alone spoke out against teachers dismissing their complaints of bullying by the Afrikaans kids. We were a mostly white, African-speaking school with three Afrikaans classes but only one English class per grade. They called us Sooties, which was short for suit peel, which literally translates to salty dick. It's a derogatory term for English-speaking white South Africans. It means your one leg is in South Africa, your other leg is in England, so your dick is hanging in the ocean. We only saw our teacher once after he was suspended. He looked badly beaten up and was accompanied by a policeman and two other male teachers so he could gather his stuff from his classes. But it didn't end there. Because so many kids had evidence that they were being bullied and nothing was done because of it, the CCTV footage was brought up. My friend's mother, who was part of the school's governing body at that time, told us a few years ago that when they reviewed the footage, it became apparent that the principal was having an affair with one of the grade 2 teachers. He could be seen grabbing her butt on the camera. They slipped up a few times and kissed in clear view of the camera, but I guess that once you're surrounded by the cameras every day at work, you forget that they're there. It was very apparent that sometimes they thought they couldn't be seen. My mom's friend's sister sells Tupperware, and one of her regular customers and close friends is the principal's ex-wife. Not only did she leave him, but they weren't married in community of property due to a prenup agreement. The house they lived in was in her name since before marriage, so she effectively made him homeless because none of his family wanted to take him in. He ran into severe debt from staying in guest houses and burned many bridges from overstaying his welcome at friends. As for my teacher, his reputation was completely screwed. He served jail time, I don't know for how long, and eventually left the country because it seemed like everyone knew his face from the media attention he received. The reason why I made this post, I was never going to tell this story on Reddit as I've told it over and over through the years since primary school, but I felt I had to because of what I experienced at the beginning of this year. My family is part of a nonprofit organization that has feeding schemes all over the country. This last Friday feed of February, I'm standing security as I usually do since we're short on volunteers and there's many homeless people and most are on drugs and can get violent. I'm walking down the line to make sure there are no fights or anything that could start a riot and I see a familiar face. My old principal is standing in the line waiting for a bowl of stew and bread with absolutely no idea who's standing beside him. Obviously, he wouldn't have recognized me, but I never forgot his face. I'm not gonna lie, I cried quite a bit behind my sunglasses. Seeing him brought back the feelings I had when I was 12 years old in 7th grade, trying absolutely every excuse in the book to not have to go to school and be bullied by my teacher. So yeah, for those of you who are still reading, this is the end of how my friends and I destroyed the lives of my teacher and principal. I'm not even sure if I can agree that OP destroyed the lives of the teacher and principal. I think it's more accurate that they destroyed their own lives by being racist and abusive to kids. Really, all you did was blow the whistle and their disgusting actions destroyed their own lives. Our next Reddit post is from Forest Cabin. Once upon a time, I had an extremely close friend, Mindy. Hell, she wasn't just my friend, she was like a sister. We met in grade school. She pursued my friendship, always tried to sit next to me, always wanting to talk. Over the years, we would spend lots of time in each other's houses, but by the time we were 19, my house was our meeting place because she had extremely bad family trouble. My family kind of informally took her in because they sympathized with her situation. I always tried to make her feel like she belonged and avoided luxurious stuff if she couldn't afford it. 
Other times, I just gave her stuff from my closet. She was nice, outspoken, and made me feel like I had the most loyal friend on the planet. The years go by. I'm fresh out of college and got a nice job. Mindy's life has improved. She had her own place in a 9-to-5, very reliable job. By then, we had a group of friends. All young professionals trying to make our way. I remember that time in my life as bittersweet. We would often reminisce about our college days, and because this happened in the 90s, there were no social networks, no texting. If you wanted to get in touch, you had to exchange phone numbers or emails. Now it's fairly easier. So exchanging old stories glued us together as we wondered how things worked out for friends we may never see again. Gatherings and get-togethers happened in my apartment. I loved that place. It was spacious and still half-empty because I was careful not to throw too much money into decoration. Around those days, Mindy began to look sickly and quite not herself. I was worried and loved her to death. She had been there for me, especially when my fiancé broke up with me for no reason. I guess we now call it ghosting. He was the first man I ever truly loved. I was never able to get him to express his love like I did, but I accepted him for who he was. He had some cold stages which left me wanting, but I thought I could manage. Basically, I was settling for being breadcrumbed. He was gorgeous, successful, and protective. So, when he proposed, I was on cloud nine and decided to ignore the negatives. I had saved a lot of money for our wedding. To be fair, he did the same in a separate banking account. Things came to an end when, all of a sudden, he broke up with me. He told me he didn't want to get married and didn't love me nor wanted any type of relationship with me. He let me keep the money from our joint account plus some of the things at the apartment. This had a bad effect on me. I felt like he despised me and wanted to cut ties no matter the cost. Invitations hadn't been issued, so calling off the engagement wasn't such an ordeal. Mindy was there for me, listening to my pain, my rants, and endless sobbing. I lost so much weight, I was embarrassed to be seen out on the street. Mindy had a boyfriend, George, and he was awesome about letting me crash at their place whenever anguish and pain hit me hard. They both cut ties with my ex. I had made so many life-altering decisions for him only to be left in the dark. Mindy and George sat me down and disclosed that my ex was seeing someone else. I remember the shock and emotional pain. My heart was racing and I ran to the bathroom because the bad news made me throw up. I never understood how my ex treated me like that. That Christmas was so bad. I would sit in my living room staring at the wall. Mindy and George had helped me set up a very 90s posh concept Christmas tree to help cheer me up. I was so depressed, the tree stayed put until next spring. By summer, Mindy broke some devastating news. She was terminally ill. I was so angry. She didn't deserve this. Her diagnosis was grim. So bad that George proposed earlier than he had planned to because he wanted to live in the moment. She had always dreamed of a huge wedding. It was her obsession. We would go into bridal shops and try as many dresses as possible when we were teenagers. The wedding of her dreams was now out of the question. Her family wouldn't pitch in, and George couldn't pay it on his own. George was now barely out of medical school and up to his neck in debt. I decided to pay for her wedding. It would be a small event, but I would make sure the decorations and her dress were as dreamy as she had always wanted. I still had the money I had saved for my wedding, and as financially risky or stupid as it may have sounded back then, I was sure those final days with Mindy would be worth gold when she was gone. Her illness made me realize there are worse things in this life other than being unceremoniously dumped by my ex. 
I threw myself into it. I was also happy and hopeful, as Minnie was able to go to her chemo sessions by herself without becoming too sick. She also looked much better than the other patients. Our group of friends also helped her a lot. There wasn't a day when someone wouldn't bring her groceries or help pay for a random utility bill as she was now out of work. I had initially offered to help her set up a better health insurance plan, but she declined. Pay attention to this. More on this later. So I decided not to intrude and give her the fairy tale wedding that she wanted. She had picked a nice rental dress and tiara. The florist was to accommodate her taste and create an indoor garden. The baker had been retained for a six-tier wedding cake. There would be 35 people, with tables, an aisle, and a musician to play some music. Now back to the insurance issue. My first job was a junior sales executive for a health insurance company. There was a legal dispute against another insurer, and I was called in by the court to be a witness. As I was getting cleared to enter the building, I saw my ex. My stomach churned. I immediately thought, courtroom wedding. By the time I reached for the elevator, he had already vanished. That messed up my day. I relived the lack of closure all over again. I couldn't let it go. I contacted a good friend who I knew was doing her law internship at the court district. She helped me by checking any legal records regarding my ex. No court wedding, but there was a fraud claim and he was the plaintiff. I didn't make much of it, but it was strange. He was very smart and getting screwed out of his money sounded too uncharacteristic. I still wanted to help Mindy and tried to set her up with a good insurance plan. I knew it was difficult given that companies treat terminal patients as money-dumping risks. I pleaded with my old boss, and he searched her name, but she wasn't in the company database. Maybe she was using a different insurer, but that was odd because she clearly told me what her insurance company was. I felt guilty because I was kind of snooping. Things were normal for a month, until my friend at the courthouse broke some disgusting news. The defendant in my ex's lawsuit was my best friend, Mindy. She asked me if I knew anything about it. I had no idea or clue. She then disclosed that the case had become popular gossip among courtroom clerks because my ex had fallen for a complicated Cupid scam. As it turned out, Mindy and my ex had an illicit love affair behind George's back and mine. It spanned a full year, and she wasn't out of work. She had been fired for embezzlement and larceny. I did know that she kept moving apartments, but I thought she had been trying to save on rent, so she had kept looking for cheaper and cheaper places. She moved around towns in the same city. First, she took my ex's money for some investment, and she used her former employer's credibility for it. Then, she got him to help her with medical bills and scammed him out of close to $20,000. Her illness was fake. I avoided her for a week. I hired a private investigator to help me get whatever I could, and the PI managed to help me get some closure. My ex's name was on Mindy's lease for a small studio. Everyone in the building thought they were a couple. It was their love nest, and it was two hours away. I never suspected anything, but apparently he had been lying to me about his actual working hours. He had also helped cover for her car payment at least six times in a year. She had my ex as her sugar daddy. She had seen me cry, puke, curl up on my bed, and she had broken the news that he had someone else. Herself. My ex seemed salty over the fact that she had chosen to stick with George. It was simple math. My ex was very successful, but George, although not wealthy yet, had become a physician and was spoken for to start a small practice with a potential partner. Mindy upped and left and cheated my ex out of money along the way. 
Apparently, my ex figured out that Mindy had been lying about her condition. The disgust, pain, and disappointment hit me fairly hard. But somehow, I had so heavily invested myself in helping her that I had emptied myself of any potential nerve-wracking reaction. I was numb. I went straight to all the wedding vendors and canceled before it was too late to get my money back. I defunded her wedding. No cake, no dress, and no veil. I sat down with George on a Friday afternoon and offered him all the evidence and proof. He cried, but in the end, admitted to feeling painfully relieved. Yes, he loved her, but he had felt pressure to get married. He confessed to many red flags. She always went to her medical appointments by herself and became irritated if he asked too many questions. She had shown him some test results that were incredibly well-crafted, but not knowing what she had done, he thought that the medical documents could be fake. He confirmed that the sneaky way. Having his nurse ex-roommate run her name in the computer at where she claimed to be her doctor's office. We also suspected that she may be having a new affair, as she spent more and more weekends with her all-girls church camping group. She claimed it was her sanctuary and helped her a lot. It may have been a front. George and I accepted the fact that we had been cheated, taken advantage of, and emotionally destroyed by the same person. I personally felt a loss of innocence. Now I understood why she wanted to keep her wedding thing almost a secret. It may have been possible that making it public may have blown her cover one way or the other. George and I decided to do what was right. I paid for a video tribute to my loyal friend and decided to send it to the local news as the heartwarming story of love and healing. It featured her in George's apartment compound on purpose so that everyone wanting to serve her court papers could find her. I didn't want to see her and I made up excuses, but George had a hard time feigning happiness once she'd returned from her camping trip. It was an agonizing week. The news hadn't shown our video yet and we were sick with the waiting. It all blew up on Tuesday morning. The news channel enthusiastically showcased our story with a collage and lots of information about her and how she was about to get married and had almost already beaten cancer. Dozens of haters popped out of nowhere. As it turns out, this had been her second illness story. I never knew someone so close to me could lead such a scummy double life. My ex went straight to the news channel and was interviewed. Oh man, it was pathetic. He poured his heart out about how crazy in love he had been and how she had only used him. I think by then, he didn't care if all of our friends and families found out what he had done. George confronted her with all the information. She denied it and then said that it was a lapse in bad judgment. She moved out without too much drama. It took George over a decade to forgive himself for allowing someone to make him look so stupid as a person and as a physician. She left me some voicemails with lots of excuses. I picked up the phone only once and I told her I had defunded and pulverized her wedding and that it was me who told George what was going on. I used a leveled voice to tell her to never call me again unless she wanted to find out how far I would go to see her pay for her unlawful actions. I cried immediately after I hung up. It was so surreal. George and I slowly found normality, but it took some time. He dated a couple of girls here and there, but wasn't ready. I myself became shut down. Mindy avoided jail. I don't know how. Even when our mutual friends filed petty claims for all the money they invested buying her stuff while she carried on with these false pretenses. Eventually, I used the wedding money to partner with George and we opened a small clinic. Best decision ever. Over the years, George and I became best friends and grew closer. We got married some years ago and are the proud parents to a happy family. 
Fun fact, I got a Facebook message from her seven years ago. She began very sweetly, but then proceeded to blame me and accused me of stealing her man and her life. I blocked her. Fun fact too, I ran into my ex in 2001. He apologized profusely. I accepted his apology and told him it all worked out as I now have a life with someone who truly deserves me. Back then, George and I had started dating. Fun fact 3. Mindy avoided doing time for her deeds back then, but was prosecuted for setting up crowdfunding for a fake cause and stealing from an elderly person. That was our slash pro revenge, and if you like this podcast, then be sure to follow me because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.